It only looks hard. They make it look hard, but why don't you open your Bibles this morning? We're in the gospel according to Luke. We're in chapter 1, and we're in verse 39. We're going to talk about Mary's visit to her cousin Elizabeth. Luke chapter 1, verse 39. I'm going to read down through verse 56 and ask you to simply follow along. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord." And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. Let's pray together. Lord, as usual, we're eavesdropping on events in the lives of uh, your saints. Here, Mary visiting Elizabeth, Lord, their discussion. Recorded for us and preserved for us, Lord, so that we could understand something about our own lives, something about your working in our lives, making application, Lord, of this obscure event. right where we live today. We need the ministry of your Holy Spirit, Lord, to take us into this text and move us around it so that we can understand it and apply it. We have every confidence that you are going to do that, but we ask you to do it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Mary's visit to Elizabeth got downright Pentecostal. Elizabeth is described as filled with the Holy Spirit, or in the King James Version, filled with the Holy Ghost. She supernaturally received information from God about Mary's pregnancy. She then uttered what amounts to a prophecy about Mary's baby. Elizabeth's own baby, himself filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb, gets to leaping around inside of his mom. Good thing there weren't any ushers on hand. Mary broke out into a spiritual song of worship filled with Bible prophecies. The meeting of these two moms is a unique moment in Christian history 
There had never been anything quite like it, nor would there ever be again. One was carrying the forerunner, John the Baptist, who would introduce the other, Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. It was also a meeting of two simple, ordinary believers, two sisters in the Lord who wished to encourage one another in their service to the Lord. On that level, we can enter into the meeting ourselves and find application for our own lives. For example, you could accurately describe the meeting of Mary and Elizabeth by using the words of the Apostle Paul from Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. Let me just read them to you. Paul said, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. They were all filled with the Spirit, and Mary, at least, was speaking in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You are to be filled with the Spirit. You are to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. We'll organize our thoughts around two points. Number one, the Holy Spirit will supply the words as you speak to yourselves. And number two, the Holy Spirit has supplied the word for you to speak to yourself. First of all, we'll look at verses 39 through 45 where we learn the Holy Spirit will supply the words as you speak to yourselves. There are some intimidating exhortations to believers about how you are to speak to yourselves. We've just said that you are to speak to yourselves with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The Apostle Paul also wrote, Ephesians 4.29, and I quote, "'Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers.'" And so on the one hand, not saying anything corrupt On the other, only speaking what is good, what will build up, and what is gracious. Most of us are in a lot of trouble already, and it's not even noon. (laughs) The Apostle Peter said something even deeper. He said in 1 Peter 4.11, if anyone speaks, so if you're going to open your mouth at all, he says, let him speak as the oracles of God that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. And so there's a a thought there that anytime you open your mouth, you are to bring glory to God as if you are speaking for God. If you're thinking this is impossible, you're on the right track. It is impossible unless you are filled with the Holy Spirit and let Him supply the words as you speak to yourselves. The good news is that Jesus has given you the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives within you. Among His many ministries is the ability to supply you with words of encouragement for your brothers and sisters. He did it for Mary and Elizabeth. He can do it for you. And so in verse 39, we read again, Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country uh, with haste to a city of Judah. I remind you that Mary was no older than 15. She may have been younger than that. The angel Gabriel had told her that her cousin Elizabeth had conceived in her old age. The angel evidently meant it to encourage Mary to go and visit Elizabeth. And so when it says in those days, it was immediately following his announcement to Mary about these things that we read last week. It says she did so with haste. We would say that she hurried to get there. 
It is a mark of any good servant that they be in a hurry to set out on their assignment. There ought to be a zeal, an eagerness, a hurriedness in serving the Lord. I want to reemphasize Mary's young age. There are quite a few kids and teenagers in the Bible that distinguish themselves. Let me just give you a few. Daniel and his three friends were teenagers when they were taken captive into Babylon, 15, 16, 17, in along those uh, teen years. They were taken in King Nebuchadnezzar's third and final raid into uh, Jerusalem and brought back to be raised in the wisdom of the Chaldeans, the wisdom of the Babylonians. Most of you are, well, everybody is familiar with something about Daniel. Uh, Daniel started as a godly young boy in the Scriptures from the very beginning, taking his stand for God against the world. And his three friends, their names changed to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Nevertheless, standing up for God as young men. Jeremiah, he was young when God called him to be his prophet. You can read that in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 13. And then Samuel, Israel's first prophet, who we will refer to again later. A very young boy when his ministry began, when his mother Hannah brought him to the temple and left him there with the priest in fulfillment of her vow. Why am I telling you all this? We should expect more from our kids. God can use them. He is speaking to them. They can take their stand with God against sin and selfishness and against the surrounding culture. Too often we sell kids short in terms of their spirituality. Too often we are making excuses for our children. Now, your kids, they face extraordinary pressures. And, and I think there's a sense in which we think that each generation, the pressure gets a little bit worse. I, I don't know if that's even true anymore. I, things were pretty tough when I was a kid, and they're tough now. Now, maybe, maybe not. But there's always been extraordinary pressure. There was extraordinary pressure on Daniel. He was a captive. He was a slave. And they told him, this is what you're going to eat. And Daniel, with courage, he said, I'm not going to eat that. I've never eaten that kind of stuff. I'm a Jew. I want to eat my own diet. And he made a deal with, I think it was Ashpenaz, the, uh, the, the king's guard, and, and he ate a Jewish diet, and God blessed him for it. And so, you know, all, Jeremiah stood against his culture. Samuel stood against his culture, stood up to King Saul and rebuked him openly as he got older. And they all started as godly young men. We should expect our young men to be like Daniel and Jeremiah and Samuel. We should expect our young ladies to have the purity of heart that Mary did at a young age instead of making excuses for them. Too often, our children go astray because we set that path for them. We tell them that they're going to go astray. Oh, there's so many pressures out there. There's no way you can overcome these pressures. I hope you do, though. (laughs) And then we kind of you know, sink into a depression about what's out there. Help your kids and expect a lot from them. Now, verse 40, Mary entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. 
And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Leaped is an interesting word. It's used to describe the jumping of certain animals. And so you get the impression, you know, from reading this that maybe he kind of really nailed, you know, the womb. Some of you ladies, you know, you can still feel some of those kicks to the ribs, you know. But this is something way beyond this. This is an intense movement. This is the surprise you have when you touch a snake and it jumps, you know, 30 feet at you or something, you know. And, and so there are some animals in nature that really can leap. And uh, so this is John just getting Pentecostal in his mother's womb, unborn about three months from delivery, but praising God in his mother's womb. And by the way, after this, she was wounded. But uh, I told, yeah, hang on for a second. Red, I told you that wouldn't work. But anyway... Here he was praising God in his mother's womb. Now, it was all John could do in the womb to express praise for God. You may find yourself in a closed or compact environment where there seems little you can do to express your praise for God. It doesn't seem like you can have much joy. You feel trapped. Some employers discourage you from sharing your faith. Or maybe you're married to an unbeliever who is against your faith. Or maybe you are a young person and you're the only believer in your household. Whatever it is, we, we have this in our language. We, we talk about being trapped, about feeling closed in, about feeling smothered. Uh, a lot of times we're making that up. I mean, I've had people in counseling before tell me how smothered they are. And I'm looking at them, and I'm thinking, you know, <laughs> you have a great life. You just don't like it right now. And so they're trapped, and they're smothered, and they're reading all these psychobabble books, you know, and stuff that tell them that they're trapped and they're smothered, and, you know, you have to break out and all this kind of stuff. Instead of reading the Word of God, you know, where you don't... And if you read the Word of God, you say, I, I don't know anybody more trapped than John the Baptist, you know, and he, he praised God from his mother's womb. Now, maybe I'm stretching it a point to make a point, but we need to just quit talking like that. Do you understand that God is a sovereign God and that your circumstances are almost always by his divine design for you? And I say almost always because sometimes you're just in sin and he's disciplining you, but your circumstances, these things that you find yourself trapped in, these limitations that you feel are smothering you, they are by God's design so that you can express joy from the inner person and blow everybody's mind, leaping and jumping and praising God. And, and so we need to get over that and be a little bit more biblical in our understanding. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She did not leap. She spoke spirit-anointed words. In verse 42, we read, She spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. The first thing to realize is that Elizabeth had no idea Mary was even pregnant until she arrived, and Mary didn't tell her. I mean, these people uh, lived a great distance from each other. Mary probably had heard the rumors that Elizabeth was pregnant, and then the angel told her she was. 
But Mary left immediately upon being told that she was going to conceive and went to Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the Holy Spirit told Elizabeth that her cousin was with child and that that child was the promised Messiah. The Bible calls this a word of knowledge. It's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit described later on in the New Testament. It is knowledge of a person or a situation that is not learned but is given to you directly by God. And so Mary comes in, she greets Elizabeth, and Elizabeth knows from the Holy Spirit all these things about her. Now, what's exciting about that? Well, if you're Mary, it's pretty exciting because you're probably trying to figure out still what all this is about. Was there really an angel at my house? Am I really going to conceive and bring forth the Savior that was promised and prophesied? Did I hear everything right? And, and the angel indicates that she ought to go and visit Elizabeth for a confirmation. She's thinking, well, maybe if it's true that Elizabeth is pregnant, that'll give me some encouragement. And not only does she find out that's true, but Elizabeth tells her everything that the angel had just told her. She's encouraged. Notice how this word of knowledge operates. It is given to Elizabeth. We would call it her gift. If somebody said, well, what is Elizabeth's gift in the, in the Bible? We'd say, well, she had the word of knowledge because she was able to be used in this way. But notice it's really for the benefit of Mary. She exercises it as a gift, but it's for Mary. And that's a, a, a fantastic lesson for us. If you're gifted in some way, it's not for you at all. It's for others. And that's why we have to be together all of the time so that you can exercise your gift because it's not for you. You know, we don't put plaques on people and give them shirts and say, oh, yeah, there's the word of knowledge walking by. <laughs> hey, word of wisdom, that kind of a thing. And how sad, though we believe, you know, just if I can talk about this for a minute, though we believe in, in all of the gifts of the Spirit and that they are, can be properly exercised today, how sad that the one gift that people always talk about all the time is what? Tongues which almost always go without interpretation, and it's just a bunch of people speaking in tongues to God, which Paul the Apostle said, don't do that unless you're going to interpret it. So why? So others can understand and be blessed. And we completely lose sight of the fact that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the energizing power of the Spirit is always to minister to someone else, not to you. Not for you. It might, it's a blast. It's a blessing that God's gifted you, but only in the sense that you help others. And so remember, this is a great seminar, really, on the exercise of the gifts. Elizabeth delivered this word of knowledge by repeating some things that Gabriel had said to Mary. She'd be blessed among women, and in her womb she would carry the Lord. This word of knowledge was for Mary's encouragement, and so Elizabeth repeated certain phrases and words from the angel. These are not words for us to pray to Mary. Elizabeth wasn't the first one to worship Mary or to pray about her or anything like that. God gave her this as a word of knowledge so that Mary could know that they were the same words that the angel had spoken so that she could be encouraged. I can't say enough, I'm going to stop in just a second here, I can't say enough about how 
mournful and how terrible it is for people to venerate Mary and to idolize and elevate Mary uh, to the status of the mother of God and all of these different things. And uh, I'll tell you the truth. I was a Roman Catholic my whole life before I became a Christian, but it blows my mind when you travel outside of the United States and see real idolatry. And you see crucifixes with Jesus on one side and Mary on the other side because people believe that Mary is a co-redeemer with Jesus Christ. And so we need to be very careful about these things. You know, there's, oh, well, you know, Mary, she was a really neat, special kind of person. And so if we venerate her a little, you know, after all the Bible says she's blessed among women, sure it says that because God wanted to encourage her. He didn't want to encourage you to pray to her. And so be careful about that. Elizabeth was also very obviously pregnant. She was in her sixth month. She spoke of the baby in her womb. All of this further confirmed everything Gabriel had told Mary, greatly encouraging this young virgin. And then Elizabeth said, Blessed is she, verse 45, who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Blessed is one of those words that can confuse us. We immediately think of a person who must be set apart from others by God because of their personal purity. In this phrase, it really means, Mary, you have the fullness or the filling of God. It means that you can be satisfied regardless of your circumstances because you have God filling your heart. And you see, remember, we, if you are here last week, we talked a lot about this, how Mary, what we look back on as oh, awesome, the mother of the Lord, you know, the virgin birth, was a really bad trial. Her whole life, Mary considered by many to be an adulteress and her son to be illegitimate. And so she needed to know that she could be filled with the knowledge of God as he would fulfill his word to her. And you know what? Those two words form a good summary of the Christian life, fullness and fulfillment. God will fulfill all he has promised. He wants you to enjoy his fullness along the way. And so Elizabeth had a word of knowledge. It was a gift given to her by the Holy Spirit, but it was for Mary. It was to encourage Mary and build her up in her faith. Some of you need to discover your gifts. Some of you will have the word of knowledge. Now, it's not like ESP. It's not like you can just look at anybody and know what they're thinking. It's not like that. It's just whatever the Holy Spirit decides to do in a situation. Lots of times I've actually prayed for and wished I had the word of knowledge. It would be very helpful in counseling to know what's really going on with people that they're not telling you. Uh, to my knowledge, I don't know that I've ever had that. But uh, you, some of you are going to have this or the other gifts of the Holy Spirit. Just remember how they're to be exercised in the context of fellowship with other believers for their benefit to build them up and to encourage them. Now, as we go on in verses 46 through 56, the Holy Spirit has supplied the Word, God's Word, for you to speak to yourself. As the story turns to Mary, I want to look back on verse 39 for a moment. Mary's journey, we're told, is to the hill country, to a city of Judah. Eighty miles, four days. Okay, so this is a pretty serious trip. It was Bakersfield's about 90 miles from here or 80 miles. What, how far is Bakersfield? Somebody, 75 miles? Right on. Through the hill country, not along Highway 99. Uh, and so 
this is a long journey. I want to suggest to you that as she traveled and as she ascended into the hill country, it's kind of a beautiful picture of her ascending and spending time with the Lord. I want to suggest that she spoke to herself. Now, look at verse 46 where it says, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. When Mary said, my soul, she used a phrase from the Psalms. Often a psalmist would describe meditating upon God's Word as if he were speaking to his own soul, speaking to himself. Let me give you just two of many possible instances in the Psalms. Here's a good one, Psalm 42, verse 5. Listen to this. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him for the help of His countenance. And then Psalm 146, verse 1. Praise the Lord, O my soul. It sounds like the psalmist is talking to himself. And so he gets up in the morning and he's, he's disquieted. He's disheartened. He's depressed. He's kind of bummed out. Things aren't going his way. He's in a funk. He's, you know, he's all of the things like that. And all of a sudden, he starts talking to himself. He's been reading God's Word. He gets up and he starts reading God's Word, I suggest. And then he says, hey, soul, what are you doing all depressed and disquieted? Hope in God. Praise the Lord. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? And so I don't feel like praising the Lord. Well, you should praise the Lord. Well, I'm kind of disquieted within myself. Just start singing. And, and he's talking to himself. You come to a Bible study or you're here this morning. I'm teaching or I'm preaching to you. You're supposed to preach to yourself. That's the idea that the psalmist had. He often and frequently preached to himself from the Word of God. Mary used this phrase, my soul, I believe in this same way. While she was traveling four days, 80 miles, she spoke to herself. She spoke to herself meditating upon God's word. I know God's word was prominent on her four-day journey because in her song, she made at least 15 references to Old Testament passages. Her words are especially reminiscent of Hannah's song of praise. You can read it in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Hannah was the barren woman who promised God she would dedicate her child to the Lord if he would let her have a baby. God granted her request. She gave birth to Samuel and brought him to serve in the temple where he grew up to be Israel's first prophet. And later on today, when you read 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 10, and compare it with Mary's song, you'll see an amazing uh, comparison, and uh, obviously that Mary was borrowing from that song. And so she had been meditating upon that, feeling as though she was in a situation similar to that of Hannah's. Now, why is that? Because it's so different. Well, here's a suggestion. Doctrinally, Hannah was barren in her own personal life and brought forth a son. The nation of Israel was barren in their national life, and Mary was to bring forth their son. And so there's a lot of deep meditation going on here. You know, Mary is... You know, after, you know, we don't want to worship Mary, but she's a pretty spiritual young gal. Uh, and, and this is possible for your daughters as well. Just make sure you keep cleaning the shotgun <laughs> while they're meditating on God's Word. The application for you is to be filled with God's Word and to speak to yourself. Mary's song is called the Magnificat, Latin for magnify. It's called that by intellectuals. 
so that they can, you know, jazz you up with their degrees. Uh, why don't we just call it Mary's song? And so we're all on the same page there. You'll notice that the things she sang about had not yet occurred, but she sang about them in the past tense as if they had already occurred. Scholars call this the prophetic past tense. It means that though it hasn't happened yet, it will because God has prophesied it. The first few verses are more personal and then the rest are prophetic. Verse 46, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. This is a, uh, soul and spirit are two words describing the same thing. It's a Hebrew poetry form uh, of parallelism, they call it. What she's saying is that my true inner person, the person who I really am, magnifies the Lord. If you will magnify the Lord, then you will rejoice in God as your Savior, regardless of your personal circumstances. Magnify means to enlarge. You need to enlarge your thinking about God in terms of what He has ultimately promised. Then you can look back upon your life from a future perspective. Hey, I've always been honest with you to tell you that your life is not going to be easy. And some people, their lives are much more difficult than other people. And so when we talk about having a bigger picture of God and enlarging your thoughts about God, it's not that, you know, you have to see whether the cup is half full or half empty or some, you know, positive thinking thing. I remember Robert Schuller one time, I'm still trying to figure this one out, but he said it's not how many uh, seeds are in an apple, it's how many apples are in a seed. That's deep, you know. Man, (laughs) whoa, positive thinking there. It's not that kind of possibility thinking. It's reality thinking. Christianity is a reality show happening in your life (laughs) where someday you're not going to cry anymore and you're not going to have any more tears or sorrow or pain or anything like that. People aren't going to die around you and chaplains aren't going to come to your house in the middle of the night and, you know, there aren't going to be these diseases and all that that happen every day, day in and day out to people that you know and love and sometimes to you. But we can enlarge our view of God by looking at that future time. Maybe you need to read Revelation 21 and 22 every morning when you get up to see how it's all going to turn out. You know, some people like to do that. They see the last page of the book, you know, what's going to happen on the last page. We already know what's going to happen. We want to live backwards from that point. In verse 48, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant, for behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary's service was unique in the history of the world. Still, she is not to be reverenced, adored, or worshipped. She needed a savior, and she offered herself as God's servant, and then she served by God's mighty power, and her empowered service impacted future generations. All of those same things can be true of your unique service to God. You need to be saved. That's where it all starts. Everybody in this auditorium You need to know that you've given your life to God through Jesus Christ, that you were a sinner deserving the punishment of death and hell, but that instead you cried out to God and claimed Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin and have been born again, have the Holy Spirit within you. Then you can offer yourself as God's servant. He can give you His mighty power, and that means whatever is sufficient to accomplish whatever task He set before you. 
And then here's where it gets into an area of faith, your service impacting future generations of Christians, whether it be in your personal family or in your church family. Now, this is tough because, you know, some people, we look at their lives and we think, oh, yeah, that person is definitely impacting the world for Christ or a city for Christ or a church for Christ. But a lot of us don't really feel like we're making much of an impact as Christians. Life can seem a little bit mundane to, at best or positively wasted at worst. Who are we really impacting? As a pastor sometimes, you probably think I always feel like my life is full and exciting and I'm impacting worlds. You know, a lot of the people I talk to, they never change. Their lives spin out, they're spun out of control and they keep spinning out of control. And uh, sometimes you think, man, is it me? Maybe you should talk to somebody else. Then they go and talk to somebody else and their lives continue to spin out of control. Sometimes you wonder if you're really making a difference. Uh, All of us do. The Apostle Paul, uh, in one point, very serious point in one of his letters, he said, you know, we, we are all making an impact. And some people's lives are making an impact towards life. We're the savor of life to them. But in other people's lives, we're the savor of death. We're telling them the truth, but they're wandering from it. They're running from it. They don't want to hear it. No one wants to be a Jeremiah. God called Jeremiah, young boy, and he told him he would have an unsuccessful ministry from the outward perspective. Nobody was going to get saved. Nothing was going to get done on his watch. He was there to announce the coming judgment. Nobody wants that kind of ministry. And sometimes you feel like you're Jeremiah or Habakkuk or some of these guys. Everybody wants to be the Apostle Paul, except for the beatings, of course. We have to trust God that if we're where we are supposed to be, doing what He wants us to do, that we will impact whoever He wants us to impact. And a lot of times, getting back to what we talked about earlier, the biggest impact that you're ever going to have is on your family, on your immediate family and on your extended family. And a lot of times, we don't really want to impact those people because it's, they're boring. It's our family, you know, who care, you know, and not that we don't care about them, but we want to impact the world. And we don't know what impact we're having on future generations as we impact our own family. And so we need to, here's, that's the area in which we need to trust the Lord and say, Lord, I just, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I where I'm supposed to be? If I can confidently say yes to those things, then it's up to God to make the impact. Now, the remaining verses of Mary's song are prophetic. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Again, I remind you that these things speak of the future as if it were already accomplished. Whatever God has promised is sure and certain to happen. These are prophecies of God's future dealings upon the earth. They look past the first coming of Jesus to his second coming. Jesus will return to establish the kingdom promised all over the pages of the Old Testament. In that kingdom of heaven on earth, things will get all switched up. 
There'll be a moral reversal when the proud are overthrown. Instead of morality being determined by the imagination of wicked hearts, Jesus will rule with holiness and purity. There will be a social reversal, and then those unbelievers who are now considered mighty are removed in favor of the lowly believer. There will be a material reversal when those who are rich with this world's goods will become empty, while those who are now poor and hungry will be satisfied. Verses 54 and 55 remind you that God will most definitely keep all of His promises to the physical descendants of Abraham, the people we know as the Jews. Much of world history and much in current history revolves around the Jews, Jerusalem, and God's promises to them. Mary finished singing, and you read, Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. God had supplied Mary with His Word. In her case, it was especially the passage in 1 Samuel about Hannah's special pregnancy. She meditated upon the story and then spoke to her soul about it, encouraged herself from God's Word. In her case, she wrote a song. You know, a lot of times, and I've told you this before, but it's, it, it's more alive kind of in this context, you need to find a scripture or a story, a narrative from Scripture that speaks to your situation, and you need to meditate upon it. And by that, I mean you need to read it and reread it and consider it. And you might even think about writing a song about it. Keep it to yourself, (laughs) unless you have some talent. Uh, But uh, I'm serious. God wants to give you these things. Uh, How much Scripture do you know that is because you can sing it? I can, I really, man, I'm so bad at memorizing Scripture. I've tried every scriptural memory system. All the drugs I did as a kid, man, my brain just doesn't work right. Synapses start firing out my ears and stuff, you know, I just can't do it. But I can remember the songs that we sing, Seek Ye First, the Kingdom of God, and those kinds of things. So if I'm ever stranded on a desert island, I can probably keep myself filled with God's Word just from the many choruses that are taken right out of God's Word. And by the way, this is a personal thing with me. People who criticize the modern choruses and the, you know, the, the contemporary worship, I mean, I, I don't criticize the hymns and stuff. I think they're great. I just don't know any. But uh, when people who go to the extra distance, they want to criticize the contemporary songs. Most of them are right out of the Scripture. I mean, they're the Word of God. I don't understand the problem. And so you might, you, I'm serious, you might actually find a passage and you might make a little lyric to it to encourage yourself. There's nothing wrong with singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. It will carry you a long way. God has supplied His Word. Read it, meditate upon it, let it fill your heart, sing it. As you do, you're going to be speaking to yourself, and God will make your heart a place of melody and harmony, regardless of your outward circumstances. Now, I'd like to think that these two sisters in the Lord continued in the same spirit of encouragement and praise. It was like a three-month-long believers meeting as they ministered one to another. Our fellowship with one another should be one long believers meeting until Jesus comes to bring us all home. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, how good you are to give us glimpses, Lord, into the lives of uh, saints like us, their conversations, their thoughts, their words and actions, Lord. And uh, just special to see Mary and Elizabeth chatting with one another, two pregnant sisters in Christ. Lord, you're filling them with your spirit, filling them with your word. Babies are leaping in their wombs. I mean, it's, it's just the normal Christian life in many ways. We see it as abnormal, Lord, but that, and that's the problem. It's not abnormal. It shouldn't be. This, that should be normal. 
I pray, Lord, that we would return to a sense of expectation that the normal Christian life is something radical and to be praised. We thank you and love you this morning. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Let's stand.